0: Hi, this is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to another edition of JM Rewind here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Recently, we had the opportunity to speak with Nissim Black, the Orthodox Jewish rapper in our studio at JM in the AM. It was a fascinating conversation and in many, many ways a very inspiring one. Here it is, uh, Nissim Black visiting JM in the AM in a recent edition of our program right here at the Nachum Siegel Network. J.M. in the A.M., a Thursday morning broadcast, and um, the long-awaited encounter with uh, Nisim Black, the incredible Orthodox Jewish rapper, is set to begin. He has walked into our studio, he has uh, been delayed by the snowstorm in the New York area, as you can imagine, and it is a pleasure to welcome him here, Nisim Shalom, shalom. Welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're going to Facebook Live in a minute or two, folks. You'll have an opportunity to see this conversation with me and Nisim coming up in just a minute or two. I probably have an obligation to stand for you. You know, there are rabbinic authorities that claim <laughs> that one has an obligation to stand for someone who has, you know, uh, returned from, uh, you know, from non traditional roots to traditional roots. You, from completely different roots than, oh, wow. than we're used to, who now is in. A proud Orthodox Jew, I probably have an obligation to give you, you know, ev- even more respect than you deserve. How do oh, you like wow,
1: that? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> I don't know if I like that. Uh, <laughs> no. it make me feel funny, at least. I, d- I don't turn I'm too dark to turn red, but I'll turn purple at least, maybe. Um, no, it's it's interesting. I thought you were going to say because uh, music is is defined in Okay, They say that it, it it relates to Malchut. They said David and Melech and Malchus in music. So thought maybe kingdom. You, you were going right. to stand oh, up point. for me. Yeah, nice part, you know, I like that. I was thinking uh, along those lines. How,
0: how, o- how old were you when you first became familiar with the term Malchus or Hasidus? Uh,
1: probably 23,
0: 22. It's maybe. pretty amazing. You, you, you've you no, got the language down
1: pat. No, really? I yeah. It sounds after good. a while, you you sit in a certain place uh, around a certain group of people. You listen to a lot of Shurim, you know, you know and then you sort of pick it up. It wasn't... Uh, didn't plan on it because i was reading right.
0: about <clears throat> excuse me i was reading about your background uh-huh uh, your background uh, was one where um you 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 actually handled uh what we would call i guess uh you know serious weapons as a young child right <laughs> uh you, you, you held a gun long before i did when i when i made believe i was you know doing Shamiran Israel right 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 <laughs> um you you were certainly very familiar with the drug community if this right, right? the drug right. drug atmosphere right, right. Uh, growing up right and somewhere along the way uh something happened i assume
1: right right
0: no that just directed you away from what your your prior belief system and existence into this world of orthodox Judaism right. what was it
1: i think the, the see the first thing you know, you can say that something drastic mm-hmm. happened, right? That's the first thing you can say, something right. drastic. And it did, no doubt about it. But I think nothing like that happens without waking, waking up uh, in an akuda already. That's already inside a person. There's something inside the person. And in retrospect, I can look back and say I had that in me the the whole entire time. I was always different. I always felt different as a kid. And I always was looking for something. More. I was always a deep thinker. I also I always felt how to place it in place at the same time. So, what what later on that, that spun the events was a was in the rap world everybody was going back and forth, you know that type of thing. And so uh, it was a local guy who decided he would do the same thing with me. He make a song about me, and uh, I consulted with my chavra. Said, "What do we do about it?" They decided that we just go beat the guy up, and uh, after that he won't make any more songs. That was you know? the way to handle things. <laughs> huh? That was the way to handle. That was the things. method. In those That days. was the <laughs> method. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else, you know, they go back and forth. So we ended up getting to a brawl in a nightclub. We ended up finding this guy. And a friend of mine, he tried to go afterwards, and I had no idea. I just got a call later on, and they said, the police are looking for you. I said, what are they looking for me for? They said, you had a gun, uh-huh. and you were shooting in the nightclub. And, uh, and I'm now panicking, and I'm fear. So I later on found out, anyway. It was a good friend of mine. And uh, because he loved me so much, he decided that he would try to go up and take the other guy's life. Now, after that, you can only imagine it, in the streets what that looks like. Everybody knew that the guy was connected to me. And so it looked like I sent him. Like, you know, that was my thing. And he so, was your shliach. Yeah, he was my shliach. <laughs> <laughs> sent him on shliach. So after that, it, uh, it, it, it turned all their attention towards me, and it was either I go and take these guys out or they take me out. Now, that is why I'm saying because what came out of that As soon as I realized that this was my situation, that either I was going to have to take someone else's life or my life was going to be, I started praying. I became religious all of a sudden. (laughs) I started crying out because I didn't want that that type of life. And maybe on day three, I got a call from the other guy. And he was like, you know, what's going on? He wanted to know the situation. I was able to squash the beef. He didn't understand how much divine providence it is. Nobody ever calls and says, uh, you know, hey, I was just wondering, uh, are you... Looking to kill me maybe, you know, you don't get that call in the street to shoot first, ask, ask questions, questions later, last, right. <laughs> right, you know, so, and it's, uh, it was a, it was an amazing, so after I was able to squash it, I had to make the bone. what do I do, do I continue in that same type of uh, path or do I do something different, and so when I decided to do something different, I just continued praying. And it stumbled up on a lot of things. Now, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. I didn't know anything about Judaism.
0: When you say Jewish neighborhood, you mean close to one, right? Well,
1: In and close. So it was all inside. I was inside the Eruv. Really? Yeah. Yeah, very much. So Cause when I did
0: my research, it sounded like you were in a really rough part of town that that was close to. the Yeah, it's like a block
1: away. It's like it was still inside there. There were people that weren't weren't far from me. I grew up right down the like north from, of
0: Delancey and south of Delancey. A
1: couple blocks, right. literally a couple blocks, yeah, I if I, even I could see a Jewish home from my house for right. sure. It was just like that. It wasn't that far at all.
0: Did you know Jewish people?
1: No, I didn't. Just a few people. So it's not like you saw an people.
0: example of the way someone's living and you said, oh, I want no, that. No,
1: no, I just knew on Saturday the streets were filled up. I couldn't ride my bike because, right. you know, everybody was walking the shoe. But you also knew
0: it was the day to shop because it, the stores were closed. Right, right, <laughs> I mean, right. the stores were empty <laughs> so, so, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That's
1: a good thing. Uh, but, no, when I was in the, you know, I would I would ride my, back, my bike in the back. The shoe I was my guy in. I used to ride my bike. We set up our ramps in that parking lot. They had a big parking lot. It was a safari shoe.
0: The bigger foam so, yeah. shul.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would we would make our ramps there, and the guy, you know I had there was some connection. That was it. Play. Right. basketball behind the other one, you know, dribble around. We would set up. So and I used to walk through the shul every day to go to to go to school, to go to school. I had no idea that you know I'd be making the same walk I did uh, after my fifth grade graduation. I'd be you know. Making the same walk again Unbelievable. as an adult. But so, it, 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 ha, it, what percentage
0: of people mm-hmm. who are in your generation in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, growing up in the you know in the atmosphere that, that we described earlier, how many of them, you, you know, make decisions like this, life-altering decisions that are positive? Mm-hmm. We we right. we always think or we're under the impression that they're making mostly negative life-altering decisions right. and and ending up in really dangerous situations or you right. know the ultimate dangerous situation. Right. How how many of them? Of, of your colleagues, you know, make positive changes like that.
1: You know, I I don't I, I don't have a lot of examples. The guys that were on a positive path and maybe continued on a positive path. I mean, obviously not towards Judaism, but some guys. You know, I have one friend who uh, he had a horrible. I haven't seen him in, in years, but he had a horrible. He was raised by his grandmother. His, his mother was on drugs. Father was on drugs, and I mean. Had the cards been dealt for him in that way, and you to right. look at the end of it, it would have been bad. But he was straight A student all throughout school, throughout high school. Ended up getting a scholarship to UW and went to law school. And then, you know what I mean? Was he doing? I don't know. But I'm I'm assuming that he stayed. Right. And, and but how so, many?
0: But how many of the people you grew up with are even, changed? Are no longer with us, or are in really bad situations? Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I lost a lot of friends at a very young age. At a lot of friends. And By,
0: you mean who lost their lives?
1: Yeah, who lost their lives for sure. For sure, a lot of people. I, 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 often think that if if I didn't have that encounter right then, I either be in jail or I'd be dead, because it just you're in an environment that's conducive to certain behaviors, and it it just breeds that.
0: Nisim's in our studio, we're Facebook living right now. If you go to Nahum Siegel Network Facebook Live right now, this is the conversation that's been long awaited. Uh, and we're glad you're you're here after a couple of delays, including because of the weather. Um, so now you're full-time in Israel, essentially? That, yeah. that's, yes. That's your home base. No better place to
1: be. That's the place, huh? <laughs> and,
0: <Yes. laughs> and, and what would you say mm-hmm. to, not necessarily to me, but in general, uh-huh. to those who are tuned in who have had this type of existence that you're now enjoying uh-huh. their entire lives? Right. Uh, do, do you sometimes get the impression that, That folks like us take it for granted or don't don't understand what we have
1: all the time. But you you see that's there's stages in it. So first you have that you have that you know like yeah come on what do you mean? Shabbos? What do you mean? What's the burden? What's the burden? just the, the past, uh, I think last weekend, I was by uh, Rabbi Wallenstein or Navas. So I'm spending time with him. You know, the, one, the number one thing, Shabbos is so hard. How did you give up this? How did you give up, you know, cheeseburgers and whatever else? And everybody texting everybody? on Shabbos. And texting on Shabbos. <laughs> um, thank God I've never been such a big texter, but <laughs> the, whatever. Anyway, but uh, I, I, I think the thing is for me, at first you're like, Okay, wow, I can't believe that that's like an issue for me. But then afterwards you, you realize That I had something very, very special See, because I was loved into my relationship with Hashem And into the Yiddishkeit That's the way I received it So nothing ever came to me with pressure You understand? Right, you so, drifted into but, it Yeah, I drifted into it It was a romantic love relationship between me and Hashem And whatever He said to do, I was willing to do When, it, when I first realized that Shabbos was Shabbos and you're not allowed to do work on Shabbos. I didn't know what that meant, but I was willing to do anything, so I just stopped doing the dishes. You know, right. it was like whatever I can do right. to to, to, to be- display your right. loyalty to him. And so, because what's what's taught and and later on you find out what the issue, what's taught and what's pushed in, in most circles is not. The love of Hashem And falling in love with it For me that was a step and process You got to keep Shabbos Why? Because you got to keep Shabbos you, you know, <laughs> you, you, you have to do this So you need to learn Gomorrah And just keep stagging And all that And I have about 15 Bach Every Friday night I do, I do a big Suda Every Friday night I have different Bach American guys uh, From the Mir From Merkaz whatever, Wherever they come from I've had guys from Sintus yeshiva every, every Friday night I have a big Suda For, for Yeshiva Bach and that's always the thing. It's just that I always ask them, "What do you learn?" I know what sector, and each yeshiva, I know which sector they're learning right now. You know what I mean? Because I have so many different guys. But when it comes down to the panemius, a lot of the guys are just like, "Ah, yeah, I don't have that." The inner the guys,
0: spirituality, right? The inner spirituality. It's hard for
1: them. Yeah, it's very very tough because it, you know, it it's it's supposed to come afterwards. When really that's the main point. That's where you start at, and it makes everything else easier. It makes it a whole different world.
0: Nisim is in our studio, Facebook Live right now, Nahum Siegel Network. You are married, correct? Yes, I am married. Does does your wife have a similar background or nothing like yours?
1: (laughs) I guess she grew up in a more, um, her her family was more religious. Uh So she, you know, so it was different for me. How did you find her? Oh, that's a good story. So my wife, I found my wife. She came to me. She literally came to my house. A good friend of mine was dating her older sister, and uh, I think I was maybe in the 10th grade of high school, maybe, or something like that, and uh, she came to my house, and he's he's such a close friend that sometimes he would stay over my house even when I wasn't there, right. you know what I mean? And so he's busy trying to collect whatever money he could or whatever and talk to everybody, and it was just me and her there, so we started talking, and we kept talking, and we kept talking, and later on, you know, I went like, you know, I fell out of contact or whatever, and I like call them. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get that girl's number. I gotta talk. And so we started talking even more and more, and then I just started, I started going to church. I, now, you should know, even though before I was a Christian, I could not go to church. Me and church didn't get along. Right. Because it was on Sunday, and football happens on Sunday. Uh-huh. That was a big problem for
0: the NFL's me. Yeah, was a big religion.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was my first religion back then. I didn't really know it okay Shem. i've been clean from the nfl for a few years now say it again i said i've been clean from the nfl for a few years now <laughs> you can't say that about everybody uh, high, uh, high high blood pressure <laughs> 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 anyway so uh so i ended up start going to the church and it worked out perfect for me and i knew she was the one why because she went to a seven-day adventist church ah, which was on saturday there you go so, perfect timing <laughs> perfect perfect timing i said oh man she's such a jewel so after that, whatever, we started talking, you know, that was already almost 12 years now me and my wife have been in and, and high school. And
0: both of you have converted to Judaism. Yeah, we and, did it together. And it happened around what age? You were what age when you converted to Judaism?
1: Was- when, I, when we finished the conversion, we were 25, 26, I think I was. And uh, it wasn't just me and my wife. Now, you have to understand, it was a big story. It was me, my wife. Her sister, and my best friend since kindergarten, who's here in the studio, Yosef today. That's Yosef. we all four of us together. We all were my guy the same day. Went to the mix uh, and had a double wedding. So it wasn't just... uh it was a journey. <laughs> a
0: at that journey. point, you had made, I would assume, relationships with people in the shul, right? Yeah, absolutely. They, yeah. I, I we had they already
1: were, been in the community maybe for two and a half years. And they, and we they,
0: the and they um, uh, attended your celebration and, oh, yeah, and was partied beautiful. with you and everything. Yeah, we
1: had every every flavor of Jewish we music, had, the whole thing. Oh, it was amazing. Do you allow yeah, traditional no. Jewish music in your event, or it's
0: got to be rap? <laughs> no,
1: well, no, 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 <laughs> it, You know what? I find it very interesting. I don't listen to rap at all. I haven't listened to rap in a long time. I, in terms, especially what's out in the secular world, secular music I mean, you listen to in years, I have no idea I listen to Avram Freed. I listen to, you know Shlomo Katz, I'm a big Carl Bach fan. I, you know, I listen to traditional Semcha Zahaim, I could turn on one, two, three four, whatever, and dance around with my kids all day long, I listen to I, listen, I haven't listened to rapping, it's a car Hashem gave me, so I'm using it Your, so.
0: your parents were, were were rappers? Yeah, yeah, my Both, both performing rappers Yeah,
1: my mother and, and my we, father. And we'd
0: say successful.
1: Yeah, yeah well, you know, back then they started out doing it to play but the success there are museums in seattle they were the very first so uh, it was uh, it was like before some mix a lot that was the big one from seattle well now we have macklemore or whatever but right. before you know before See, that Mix-a-Lot.
0: name i've heard of <laughs>
1: yeah he's a good friend of mine he used to open up for me actually yeah, he's a good friend. And used to and, be. and
0: when you performed it was under the name
1: it was under the under
0: the name D Black. D Black. That was your moniker. Yeah, it was my mail as a as a rapper.
1: Yeah, and
0: and the height of your career as a rapper was around what year?
1: It was around two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Right and, when I started. To... And you, and you
0: worked as and I, I've asked this to Matisseau because I have so much trouble sometimes understanding. You know, the, the relationship that listeners have with his music, mm-hmm. y- you attribute your success, people connected to you mm-hmm. as a successful rapper because of what? What element did you have that, that just That's got, got you really connected to the audience and, and therefore successful?
1: Actually? Probably more than anything, authenticity. Authenticity. Huh. Is that because I never was so big at going outside of the box. I was never looking for a way to be uh, something so creative and something new. I think the biggest thing was that I always had the ability to sound familiar. You understand what I mean? Yeah, sure. So I I think that was, uh, I think that was more so my, my, my connection. That was probably more of my niche is that it's familiar. It feels familiar. It sounds familiar. And it's safe. That's the way I am also, too. I also don't try new things at restaurants. I stick with what I know. Hey, you're my my kind of guy. With all reliable. You go with the reliable dishes. Who's got money to waste on something? You don't know if you like it or not, right?
0: (laughs) Very good. uh, (laughs) Nisim is here in studio. Go to Facebook Live, uh, Nahum Single Network, Facebook Live. We'll try to do one of your selections in a minute. Just want to finish a couple of things. First time you're in Israel is what year?
1: First time I went was 2013. And
0: this is pre or post-conversion? This is... uh, Post post conversion. You get to Israel and what is that first
1: day like? It was just like I was so jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> that when i even when i got to i remember when i got to the coattail i was still looking i was like maybe this is a replica of the coattail or something like that the reason why it just always looks so big on the on the picture so when you get there for the first time i was just like wow this is like a mini replica of the wall this is like (laughs) awesome you know and i was like no this is this is the Coattail this is the real thing (laughs) it's the real thing so it was like great i was walking around i went with a good friend of mine by the name of la russac he's the one that took us uh, he's also, he was a, in, in, he went to the same school as you, no? Where'd you go? You went to either NYU or you went to? No, I went uh, to Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University, yeah. University he went to. Anyway, so he, he took us as a gift. After we were my guy. he said, I want to ah. take you know, Nisim and Yosem, my brother-in-law, on a trip to Israel. He, like, stood up and announced it, so he took us as a, as a gift. And whatever, I collected some gigs also while right. I was there. and uh, And so... The next day, we went again to the hotel and to the old city with him, and he's like a tour guide, you know, and everything came alive to us, you know what I mean? And we realized, Listen, we're there at Israel, and we went to Yad Vashem. It was just like, it was an amazing trip, you know, so I it, I always knew that, you know, I'm coming back. I, In fact, there was videotapes. I was like, hon, look at it now because this is where we're moving, you know. And, and your wife knew. <laughs> The future's going to be in Israel. No, she didn't, know. She actually fought me a lot. On it. I just couldn't even bring up Israel. You say is. So she called you out on this one, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was not going to happen. But Rokoshim she moved. My wife moved sight unseen. She'd never been to Israel before. Uh, so her first time being there was... Off the nefesh bin nefesh flight, right? And there's not a day that goes by that my wife doesn't tell me this is the best decision we ever made.
0: Unbelievable! Festus. Your oldest child is my, how
1: old? My eldest is eight, eight years old. I have a four year old, and they're both in school. My son goes to school in Shari. My daughter goes to school goes to Beis Yaakov in Shari Fesid area.
0: Do they have musical talents? That's that very, very funny.
1: Well, yeah, well, they're always singing and dancing, but you know, at that age, every kid's singing and dancing. We'll see what happens, you know, after Would the you have any problem
0: with them as they grow up watching your old videos from the Seattle days?
1: That's a very good question. As of now, yes. Um, later on hopefully they're not interested right (laughs) i understand that but but, that's my hope but more
0: of the question because i i would think especially someone like yourself with such a broad background at this point Mm -hmm. uh, i would think that you appreciate the spirituality, quote unquote, that mm-hmm. was involved in your work back then, there was uh-huh. some spirituality. Yeah, sure, there was. Spirituality. And I wonder if that's something that you would, you know, pass on to your kids to broaden their own horizons. That there's so much to this world that can be spiritual and can
1: connect to, you know, the one above. No, no, this it's Emma's But also to the truth is, is that it takes uh, uh, it takes a lot of power, you know, in a in a in a very very big. Uh, I want to say just in the shama but uh, of of clarity to be able to pull out. The, the 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 good and right. the tove sometimes eh, from a bowl of raw, you understand what I'm saying like the oh, weekend before they were able to pull out certain things from certain Nagunim that were maybe non so today we don't have those kos you understand what I'm saying so for me to put that directly so one thing i always said i would never put my kids in my exact same situation environment and expect for them to get out the same way that i did right. you know i think the the best thing is that you do your best to make sure you start them as far and as advanced as you possibly can and then you know from there you've done your job but uh so i try to keep it uh it's two different even today to be honest my kids don't even see my videos today they don't they hear yeah. the music even in quote-unquote jewish yeah, videos even my quote-unquote Jew- jewish videos they because they hear the music but they, and, and we let them dance, and they love it and different things like that. But we, they don't watch too much of anything. <laughs> Understood.
0: Uh, Nissim is here in the studio. It's, it's only fair that we do at least uh, one selection that you're <laughs> responsible for. Uh, at some point, based on your bio, uh, you were really, and you described this already, you drifted away from the whole music industry, it yeah, sounds like. And yeah. at some point, you said you're going to do this in a Jewish arena. Right. Right, a right. few years back. What was the first Jewish selection that you went ahead and
1: recorded? I think the first one I did was a song called uh, uh, the first one I decided to do maybe Ricochet. I had a song called Ricochet years ago,
0: and that was a Jewish themed.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as as far as open Jewish theme, I think the first one that I I went for it was a Shamela. A Shamela. That was the first one I went for it. on. Other songs, you know, you still try to hide. Am I so comfortable to to say these things on the record because it always been like taboo, you know? God on a rap, you know, <laughs> saying like the Jewish way. Do you are not saying that. There are not many God fearing messages in N- rap. No, right? it's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> I wonder if anybody ever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not to but he's a singer. Right. He was a reggae. He was something different.
0: Right. Understood. But, All right. So this is your selection with God Elbaz.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: And you're simply. Uh, uh, joining with him to proclaim God is King and to tell the entire world right, about it. Right, right, that was the goal of this video. That was the
1: goal of that.
0: God Elbaz and Nisim. Nisim is in studio here at JM and the AM. It has been uh, so far an amazing encounter uh, as we converse about his incredible life. Uh, Nisim is based in Yerushalayim and he has um, uh, he has embraced Orthodox Judaism. That is certainly the way to put it. This is the audio of the video of Hashem Melech with God Elbaz. You're listening to JM in the AM.
2: This is the world makeover. over. Mashiach will come take over. You ain't gotta be me or see what I see. All you gotta do is take Look forward Lift up your eye to the sky Spread out your hands. Say thank you Smile Get him up Put him up Leave him up Ha <laughs> ha
0: Albaz with our special student studio guest, Nisim, on that amazing video that has close to two and a half million views.
1: That's pretty good, huh? Yeah, it's all right. It's not, bad. <laughs> not bad. Not bad.
0: <laughs> not bad is right.
1: I, I yeah. always say, you know, when people say that, you know, with the new video, also a million years, it was a, it broke through a million very, very quickly, maybe in a month or so, and people were so excited. And they get more excited than you do about how many views. And it's right. like, you guys are the consumer. You're excited about the... But for me, I always say this, and it's, it's, it's MS, did we hit a million shamas. You understand what I'm saying? That's more important. That it's more important to me because at the end of the day, were there people that left with something that, that, you know what I'm saying, that helped them to either search inside or come closer to Hashem from the... You know what I mean? So it's always, did it hit a million shamas, You know what I mean?
0: Oh, I hear you. I so, hear you. Listener Risky really says we love Nisim. Listener Ira wants to know what the hardest thing was for you to change to become a religious Jew. Was there one thing that stood out for you as a difficulty?
1: Uh, the biggest difficulty. Why? 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 I can't think about. it. Like I mentioned before, I think I think that my love or whatever you could call it, infatuation or whatever it was that I have for Hashem was so strong. That anything that I, any new information I came across, I was willing to, to subjugate myself to that information. I can't think of a, of a moment or anything, one thing that was tough. No, maybe, maybe my first day of of Yom Kippur and that was probably Yom Kippur Kippur was probably the first first time you ever fasted. No, 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 no. You had, you I, had
0: yeah. fasted before.
1: Oh, before on my way to duty, I was fasting three day, three days in a row, a week, crying for the for Amesman. I was leaving Christianity. I was begging to go. So that wasn't, so wasn't it the. So the fast was
0: difficult because of.
1: I, I think it was the standing in one place, uh, the, you know, almost the whole entire day in Shul, then. In and praying, and it was very, very hard for me to keep up. I didn't understand all the all of the the language. That was probably the first thing. I was like. This is hard. (laughs) You know, that was the first thing.
0: How long did it take you to read Hebrew?
1: It took me about, uh, when I started from from starting to be able to actually sound out words and go through, was about 45 minutes of a sit down. Seriously. And literally learning the Alev Bena. I was on fire i was on uh, I, i'm telling you i was on fire and uh from from then being able to you know for for years obviously you, you're trying to catch up so you sit with a siddur and you're going through all the tefillah one by one struggling through it what? and trying to to push yourself and so that it, it happened over process but you know, you know, picking at this. So now, also, too, some Sephora are harder than others and some are not. And then, you know, it's one thing to read, and there's another thing to understand what you're reading. So that's some true. are Some Sephardim <laughs> uh, are harder, some are easier. It depends on what it is. You know? Listener
0: Yonah says he had that exact same experience with the coattail, I guess, in terms of the size of the wall. Mm-hmm. And um, one of our listeners asked uh, on Facebook Live if, uh, if you'd ever consider doing what we call a traditional Jewish CD and not necessarily rap would you ever consider recording maybe on the i mean on the new record like Nissim does Kalbach uh, <laughs> that'd be amazing huh? we'll what's see. your favorite kalbach selection you're, favorite? you're on a desert island you have one kalbach song to play over and over <coughs> which would it be
1: it's a good question he was a hit maker
0: he was a hit maker. <coughs> um he always said the secret to his songs that they were so easy for a consumer to sing uh, oh, two part really? songs that were just easy to sing
1: right probably Eso, you know. Oh, you chose so, a good yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably my you chose that'd probably be one. my 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 favorite one.
0: You mentioned earlier that that one of our special guests in Studio Today, Yosef is your friend since kindergarten. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And could, he produced a lot of the music also, too.
0: Could you have done this journey alone without the other 3 people who did it with you?
1: I, I don't know. I don't think I don't think so. You know what? I I I, I feel like I could have. You'd like to think Yeah, I'd like have. to think that I could have, but I don't know. You know, it, 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 I feel very strong. I feel very much. Now you should know that it was me that started the whole thing, obviously, right? Because I was started searching. I mean, right. to some degree, started, You were the trailblazer. <laughs> I, to some degree, but if it wasn't for Yosef coming to to hit the home run, you know what I'm saying? In a lot of places, Yosef he's the he's the secret weapon. You understand? He's very quiet. He yeah, he seems, seems to be very. Uh... But he's 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 really. I needed that push from him. It was it was a lot of times that where we were stuck in places and if if he didn't make that push and do something then I was just like, ah, I'm ready to grow like that too you know what I mean right. he was always pushing me I, I, so I, I hate to say I don't know if it, if I, if I would have been especially not certainly in this way it wouldn't it wouldn't have happened if i didn't have uh, didn't have a strong support system my wife and, and my brother-in-law and law.
0: Nisim is here Facebook live for the next five minutes as we really are getting grabbed by the clock. I could sit with you for a couple of hours, frankly. I <laughs> okay. hope you visit us again, frankly please. Um, your parents, I assume, are still around, right?
1: My mother died of an overdose oh. when I was 19, so she didn't get to see the transformation. I wish she would have. Uh, my stepfather is still around and my my biological father, yeah.
0: Have they been supportive or they're not part of the picture? It's a very
1: good question. My biological father, it, for sure, he, he was very supportive, and uh, especially in the beginning, came to the Hasana, after also, too, when we, when we were, after we were Magaya. He was uh, he was very much, he's always been, and it's funny because, He's a Christian professor, theologian. You, you would think that if there was one guy that had the issue, it's a religious guy. You know? right. But no, he's he's been he's he's very supportive and uh, and also too. I talked to my my dad, which it was beginning for him. My stepdad It was very very tough for him in the beginning, obviously because. But I spoke to him when I was here for a concert a few weeks ago. But he, he couldn't stop telling me how proud of me he is. You know, wow. and that's something I get even in the guys I grew up with in the streets. You, you know see them once? in a while? Yeah, every once in a while. When I was in Seattle, you know, I only been in your for a year, now. Right. So before, I would run into people at the store, and people would have almost tears in their eyes from looking at me and just from talking to me. It's an amazing thing because they have no, <laughs> they have nothing to to Yiddishkeit. They know nothing about Judaism. So, so, but for them to see somebody make such a transformation it like gives them a little boost of hope and they tell me all the time wow 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 you know so it's an uh, amazing thing
0: it, all of us deal with loss differently mm-hmm. and and losing your mother when you're 19 must yeah. be i mean who could even imagine the devastation yeah, she was 37 so. but 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 the method yeah, so. by which she passed away right does that uh, how, how do you adjust mm-hmm. to that how do you how do you Wrap your head around all of that. Does it stick with you in a way that other methods would not?
1: I, I guess not. Be, that wasn't a. It wasn't the first time this happened. You know right. what I mean? I knew people would come over. they saw that. Yeah, for that, for sure. That night, I, I was on the phone with my my wife, who was my, my girlfriend at the time. We're dating. I was just out of high school, whatever, nineteen, yeah. Right. And I told her, I said, one day I feel like I'm gonna go to wake her up, and she's not gonna wake up, and that's that's what happened that morning. She didn't wake up. My sister tried to wake up and she didn't wake up. It was pharmaceutical right. drugs. It wasn't uh, Not street drugs. Right. Yeah, not street drugs. But, you know, now that's become a street drug too. You can right. buy those up. So for her, she had just got out of treatment. It's a very funny thing because she was in a faith-based program and they would never take her serious. They're very strict with her inside of that program for, you know, the uh, drug, drug program because it wasn't a hard drug. And and she came late one day and they kicked her out. A few weeks later she passed away from, from it, you know. So very, very tough. It was very tough for me. Pain I wouldn't have wished on anybody in the world. It was very, very tough for me.
0: Unbelievable. And for a lot of people that could turn one away mm-hmm. from belief no. and trust in God, it seems like you only got stronger and stronger as that road continued.
1: A lot stronger. Lots stronger. A lot stronger.
0: We have a minute left. And I know that we've done a lot of these messages already in the last <laughs> mm-hmm. half hour, mm-hmm. but what would you say again to the to to all of us who sometimes take all of this for granted and don't understand or realize what we have mm-hmm. uh, in this incredible uh, circle of Orthodox Judaism?
1: That's a very good thing. So I, I would say that the first thing is that to know that nothing's wrong. You understand what I'm saying? Nothing's wrong it's by saying... Good. It's all no, No, it's all good. It's the fact that I feel this way, but... The thing is, don't stop with your question. Take that question to Hashem. Hashem, why does this bother me? Why am I not connected the way it should be? Why am I not? Because the, the issue is, is that relationship. And, and Hashem's such, he's such rachamim that he doesn't, it, it's not the fact that the person, oh, I can't keep Shabbos, I can't get, he just wants you to talk to him about it. And once you begin the relationship part, then you'll start to appreciate it. Then you'll start to appreciate it. But that's the icker. So take a step do.
0: back. and Take a
1: step back. It's okay to evaluate myself and say, I'm not where I should be. I'm not unconnected. I don't feel like, I don't appreciate this so much. That's great. Talk to Hashem about it. <laughs> Tell him also.
0: You're in the United States till when?
1: I'm here until after Shabbos.
0: And do you have gigs
1: at all? Or? No, I'm going to be in Muncie. My Rob's coming in town. Rabbi Shalom Arush. So he's, he's coming in town. And my wife wanted me to stay an extra day. So, so you'll be in Muncie So that the snow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's good you weren't planning on leaving today. <laughs> yes. I'll so be you'll in be Muncie. in Muncie for Shabbos. I'll be in Muncie for
1: Shabbos. And do you do
0: gigs in the U.S. anymore?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just did one. I was here. Uh, Last Shabbos, I was by uh, Ornava. We, right. we did a Shabbaton and I did a concert Saturday So if night. somebody
0: would love to have you in their community, how Please, do they reach you? we'd love to come. Just we'd go to your to website come. or what?
1: Yeah, go to the to the website or Facebook right. and then zoabbooking.gmail.com. Yeah. And that's it. And huh? That's it. You what a me. pleasure to meet you. Thank you. A real Likewise. honor to meet you. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Nisim
0: in studio, an amazing Thursday morning here at JM and the AM. That was my conversation with Nissim Black, the Orthodox Jewish rapper, uh, a very fascinating and inspiring conversation that happened recently here at JM in the AM. Tuvia Tenenbaum is up next on JM Rewind. He was a guest of uh, Congregation Renat Yisrael this past Sunday night, and he is author of many books, including the bestseller Catch the Jew. Uh, his topic at uh, Congregation Renat Yisrael was anti-Semitism, and that was the bulk of his topic when he joined us on this recent edition of J.M. and the AM. Tuvia Tenenbaum, my guest, right now on J.M. Rewind. Uh, the adult education program at Congregation Renat Yisrael presents Tuvia Tenenbaum this coming Sunday night, February the 12th, beginning at 8 p.m., Catching the Jew Here Too anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism in Israel and the U.S. The event will feature the reading of excerpts from the author's books, remarks by the author about the experiences that led him to write the books, as well as a Q&A session. Uh, light refreshments will be served. Uh, it is a reasonable admission price. You could sign up in advance by going to renot.org slash event and get ready for Sunday night. Tovia Tenenbaum is the author of the uh, Spiegel top 10 bestseller, Sleep, I Sleep in Hitler's Room and the number one bestseller in Israel, Catch the Jew, and a regular columnist for Online in the Forward. Tuvia, who holds advanced degrees in both literature and mathematics, is also the founder and artistic director of the Jewish Theater of New York. Tuvia Tenenbaum, welcome to JM in the AM. Welcome. How welcome. are you doing? Tadaraba. It's a pleasure to speak to you. The, the, uh, Same here. the newest book is The Lies They Tell. Am I right? Is that how it goes? The Lies They Tell, exactly. And You, say it, you say it honestly and truthfully. And that book... That book uh, answers the question, at least based on what I read on the site. Ever wonder why America has moved from Obama land to Trump land? If so, acquaint yourself with the lies they tell. How does that book help answer that question?
3: Uh, very, very, very simple. I mean, uh, no matter what you believe or don't believe, uh, or whatever your political standing or not, we don't know, really know Trump. We don't know the man. We know more or less what people think of him and the impressions that he makes. And when you look at him, and from what I can tell, is that he is the exact mirror of America, is the reflection of America. First of all, how do I know it? I know it because The Lies That Tell, uh, this book was done. Uh, this is the third in a series of books. And this was done, and uh, the research for it and the actual uh, interviewing people started in uh, June of 15 and ended in, uh, in 2016, basically during the period of the primaries and the and the, and the, uh, the election year. Right. So this was an interview uh, in, uh, crossing the United States from east to west, from west to east, north and south, and speaking to people in the thousands. Usually, I mean, I, I reside in Manhattan uh, some of the time, at least. Um, and being in Manhattan, you know, you know your little settle. you know your Manhattan, and you think you know America, but America has fifty states, and they are very, very different. And each one is unique to itself. And there is a collection of ideas and there's a collection of thinking. And there are stories and there are ways of life between Manhattan. Are really not private. We might have read a little bit here, a little bit there, right. but what's really going on in the country is you cannot tell by by reading the news or by watching TV.
0: How, how many states did you visit in that period of time? Altogether, uh,
3: twenty-eight states plus Washington DC.
0: And uh, if I would have asked you, uh, if I would have asked you on uh, November first who will win the election, would you in fact have predicted Trump for that reason? Yeah. You knew it. Yeah.
3: I mean, I know it. I'm not a novi. I'm not a prophet. I mean, but, you know, my thinking was all the time, you know, after seeing all the American, the Ameri- you know, talking to so many Americans, this is a Trump land. This is not an Obama land. Right. You know, but then you, you say, everybody, you say, you know, it looks to me that Trump is going to win because he's America, and everybody is saying to you, what are you talking about? How can you say that Trump will? Look at this. Right. I mean, the New York Times said for the longest of times that, Trump has 9% chance of winning against, you know, 91 of uh, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but when you talk to the people and you see, you see America that is different. Right. America, the real America, the real America is terribly racist, deeply racist. The real America is so divided. The real America is fearful people, and you ask some questions about who did you vote for the last election or something like that. We'll not talk to you about it. People in America um, are different. People in America. You know, in the first five minutes, on the first ten minutes when you interview a person, everything is nice, they love everybody, they love diversity, they love this, they love that, and everything is great, and it's beautiful. But when you continue to talk to them, and, and I present myself as a German journalist, because I am such also, I don't tell them I'm Jewish, I don't tell them I'm also an American, and with my accent I can say anything, basically. And once they feel confident in you and comfortable with you, they tell you a totally different story.
0: Well, one of the German, uh, one of the German news sources called you a combination of Michael Moore and Borat, and now I understand why. How did you Thank di- you. At, w- at what point, yeah, I figured it's a compliment. At what point did you discover the racism? Uh, is, this, is this what happens 10 minutes into any conversation with an American? Well, it,
3: it happens like you, know, you learn on
0: the way what kind of questions to
3: ask as you open up. For example, I'll give you an example. I'm going to a place, you know, I'm in Philadelphia. I'm moving from New York, going to, to Pennsylvania, I'm going to Philadelphia. And there is a place called Town. so I'm going to see the Germans of America. Because, after all, according to the census, um, 50 million Americans say that they are descendants of Germans. Right. This is the largest portion of Americans, you know, say that belong to one identity. Right. One, you know. And you go to Town, and there's not one German there. It's all blacks and it's a hood. And you go there, and the first thing you see, and people ask you, they see white men, and you say, are hey, you meh? What you doing here?" I say, excuse me, what's your problem? And you say, you're a white man. No white men walking here, man." You know, and then you start talking to them, and then you realize you're, you're living in a world that's like unbelievable. They tell you who's got shot here, who got shot there, how many people were shot just yesterday, who I was shot this morning, and who is gonna be probably shot tonight? Then you go to other places and you go and you go and you see the real hood, it's not Harlem, the real hoods. And I can tell you, I was in a in refugee camps.
0: Refugee camps. In where? the
3: Midlands, in the Middle East. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah.
3: In Jordan whatever. And and I saw places it was I was crying after I left them. But those refugee camps are five star hotels in comparison to what happens in America right here and now. You cannot believe in these regions of countries, in this some powerful country, that spends hundreds of billions of dollars on, on defense, 600 billions or whatever. And what's happening here is like really unbelievable. And in this, Trump is totally right. You know, the inner city yeah. is, is frightening to watch what happens in the inner city.
0: Tovia Tannenbaum is with us. He'll be the guest at Congregation Renat Israel in Teaneck, New Jersey, on Sunday night beginning at 8 p.m., uh, Catching the Jew. We'll talk about the book in a minute. Here, too, anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism in Israel and the United States. I would assume from the title that just like you discovered racism as you, discover, as you d- discussed different topics with people across America, you discovered plenty of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism as well.
3: Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, it is amazing to see. I mean, I didn't expect, you know, starting the journey, I didn't even think that people would know anything, let's say, about the israeli palestinian conflict. But hearing people say over and over again, free Palestine, especially the young, and, and even in, in very red states like Montana or North Dakota, was so frightening to see that. And what's worse for me, and this was a big discovery, is that the Jewish community as a whole, not excluding the Orthodox community, the Jewish community as a well. whole—not everybody, but the majority—are so self-hating. They call Israel. They cannot stop saying that Israel is an apartheid state.
0: Well, again, you're, you're, again, but you're, you have a, you, you are, uh, you're, oh. you're basing that on the fact that anybody who is anti-Israel or calls them an apartheid state uh, would then be a self-hating Jew. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure they would argue that they can, you know, have a, a, a that they can have a logical opinion about what Israel is or isn't on the world.
3: I, I, I have no problem with people who are criticizing this or that, Netanyahu or whatever it is. I have no problem. I have been criticizing him forever, too. But this is not the only thing they say. Right. Then they say that Judaism is racism.
0: Their own religion.
3: Their own religion, and they say it in temples.
0: Right from the pulpit, sometimes. From the pamphlets. Yeah. So you have these Jews who say that any racism in
3: America is the fault of the Jews. And you listen to this, and you cannot believe your eyes, and you cannot believe your ears. And you see it over and over and over again. I mean, we are like, even in Montana, there is a place over there that if you, you know, in America, you can't buy anything for money. so. You have a lot of money, and then, and then you decide you want to be a cowboy. So there, is a, there are people who will do it for you. You come to Montana, and for one week, it will turn you into a cowboy. <laughs> and then you'll get a plaque, you know, and you'll get, like, something, you know, at <laughs> the paper that says that you're a cowboy. A It's like, you're a cowboy. You, know, you want to be a cowboy. You, know, you have money, so you have to spend it somewhere, right? You know, so you yeah, are sitting there one time for lunch with this, this cowboy for a week, and then from nowhere a guy starts talking about we talk about how to feed a horse. And the guy starts talking about the Palestinians. And the Palestinians are suffering. It with brutal people. That was a Jewish called, it, called I, Israelis. That was, and I say, Excuse me, are you Jewish? He says, Yes. How did you know?
0: <laughs> well I guess that, that answers my question. Toby Tannenbaum is with us. So you you wrote a book, um, and we mentioned that the, the lies they tell. The latest one, but you wrote a book that that you know first put you on my radar, and that was the book the book called Catch the Jew. So just yeah. just like you described, uh, you know, traveling America and visiting twenty eight states, in Catch the Jew, yeah. you are tra- you are traveling essentially to every area. If I have this right, every area yeah. of Israel and the PA. Would that be accurate, or even beyond that? That's accurate. Okay, so so what? You know, it's funny. What? What? what, I'll get to the funny part in a minute. What type of questions do you pose in those forum that you know that that led you to find out the attitude of Arabs and Jews toward Israel?
3: It's very very simple. Uh, Since I am uh, my main publisher, my original publisher is a German publishing company called Solcom. This is the I guess the most prestigious. Uh, publishing company in Germany, right. and they sent me here and there. I'm, you know, get assignment here and there, you know, in different countries. And and I'm also a journalist for the paper, which is like the equivalent of the New York Times here. Right. So when I go over there in Israel, I went to Israel and I went as a German journalist again. And the way I presented myself, I called myself uh, uh, Toby the German, you know,
0: yeah.
3: Tuvia. Is in German Tobias, and Tobias in short, the immunity with Toby, so it's it's honest, as they say. And then I got friendly, I became friendly with uh, all kinds of people. For example, Jibril Rajoub was uh, one of my best friends. He thought I'm an original, actually, you know, German, a good Nazi. <laughs> and, and Jibril Rajoub was the guy who is in charge of, uh, he's basically the spy master of Palestine, I can say. He's doubling and debbing and everything. He's one day he's doing this, one day he's doing that. And, and he's the Mamlik Malochim. He decides who's going to be whom. And we became very, very friendly. And and then I became very friendly with the whole top uh, yeah. uh, Palestinian leadership. And walking in there with the Palestinians and, of course, uh, many Europeans saw me in that capacity. And I got acquainted with all kinds of European NGOs and American NGOs as well. And, uh, and then I realized that uh, so many Europeans are walking either in Israel or with the Palestinians, and millions upon millions are spent every year on these kind of things. And, and, and the agenda of all of them, while they say that their agenda is peace and stability in the Middle East, the truth is very far from it. Their agenda is to catch the Jew doing something wrong. And they do it in every possible way. Every possible way. And and the book details what they are doing. And it's and the money they are spending. It is just some amazing, amazing, amazing. And if they find a Jew who is self fating and, and you know, they come, they connect with him, they give him money and assign him to the job to find a bad Israeli settler, a bad Israeli politician, what they call or you know, criminal police, criminal soldiers, whatever it is, and you have this organization like Rabbis for Human Rights, you know, added by, at least at the time, by Eric Asherman, an American import to Israel. And and this guy wakes up every morning, this so-called rabbi, wakes up every morning, which one way she prays to God to find a bad Jew so he can video that bad Jew and make it public world over. Wow. It is frightening. It's frightening, frightening. For example, I saw in Yad Vashem, you know, the EU is paying people, paying organizations, will take students, foreign students, take them to Yad Vashem, and then they have a guide who tells them that what they see is subjective. It's not objective. It's from the perspective of the Jews. It doesn't mean it's true that it really happened. But what is true is that the Jews... Are committing a holocaust against the Palestinians, and uh, they do it in Yad Vashem, and they tell them all: "Arab stories how Jews killed. Perhaps uh, this is paid for by our good friends, the European Union."
0: And your book is full of these examples, full of these examples. Uh, did you, you know? Did you meet anyone on the quote-unquote other side who seemed to be a sincere peacenik?
3: Sadly, I wish I did. And I try. I gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. I gave everybody. I even gave, you know, like Gidon Levy from, you know, the journalist from from Haaretz who writes as a column and every week he writes uh, another Arab story of what Israelis are doing to Palestinians. And I said, and and I asked Gidon, I said, Gidon, do you speak Arabic? I said to him, it makes no sense. I mean, what you see is not what I see. I go to these places. You go to these places. I come up with a totally different story. I come? I said to him, do you speak Arabic? He said, no, not a single word. I said, then how do you know? That's what you are told. How do you know to tell the stories? He said, you know, I have people, translators. I said to him, you know what? How do you know that they tell you the truth? <laughs> Let me ask you something, I said to him. <laughs> For the sake of honesty.
1: Right.
3: For the sake of honest reporting. I have a crew. I have a team. I showed him, you know. Uh, My wife was with me all the time. You know, she does pictures, and I have a a crew of video and and, and audio professionals. I have a team. I say, you know what? I have these people, you know, and the people that I have in the video and the sounds, they are Germans and Swiss. I say, "I'll I'll go with you. They record everything. And whatever they record, that will be in my book. All I need from you is next time you go, tell me, and I'll come, I'll join you. I speak Arabic, I understand, I don't need a translator, let's do it together. Is it a deal? And Gidon says, yes, it is a deal. Next time I'm going, I'll call you out of time, and you are welcome to come.
0: The funny part to me, and again... I called Gidon so many times.
3: I say, Gidon, when, 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 he refused.
0: He refused to accompany you on that...
3: He uh... refused to so that I accompany him. Right. You know, I said, okay, I, I, and then I found out, my way, that so the guy who accompanied him, you know, his, his guide, I got connected to his guide. he's is the sh- chief researcher of the Israeli uh, NGO Beth Salem, and I hooked up with him. I went to Jenin, you know, and I joined him, and then we went to meet Palestinians and to hear all the Arab stories. And then it can f- for fool, fool me. It doesn't work because I speak Arabic. So Ishtar he is the chief researcher of This It's a Jewish organization, Israeli organization. And that chief researcher who finds, who file reports of atrocities committed by Jews. He tells me, as the
0: video is running,
3: he tells me that the Holocaust never happened. It's a